Welcome to Getting to 5050, brought to you by Pratima Rao Gluckman. Each episode, we bring a thought leader who discusses the changes we can all make to help bridge the gender gap at the very top. Today, we have around 5% of women running Fortune 500 companies. How can we get to 50% so that we have diversity of thought and opinion that is so critical to the success of organizations and humanity in general? Welcome to the Getting to 5050 podcast. Today, I have the amazing Cheryl Nash, who is the president of investment services at Fiserv. She drives the strategic vision for industry-leading technology solutions and wealth management. With over 30 years of experience, Cheryl has a keen appreciation and understanding of industry trends, priorities, and challenges, and is a highly sought-after subject matter expert. Cheryl's credentials include her recent appointment to the Money Management Institute Board of Governors and selection as co-chair of the MMI Women in Wealth Management, a program that is dedicated to ensuring women in the workforce zero to five years have an enriching start to their financial services careers. She's also a board member of MMI's Leadership Pathway and former co-chair of MMI's Technology and Operations Committee. She serves as an InvestNet Institute and Campus Advisory Board member and leads the Women in Wealth Management Initiative, a program dedicating to inspiring, advising, and educating career-focused women. Such an honor to have you on the show, Cheryl. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I wanted to start off just on the premise of my book. I wanted to just have you tell me your story. Sure. So um, first off, your book was really great. So um, I applaud you for writing that. It really uh, tied together a lot of the same things that I've experienced in my long career in financial services. So um, over 30 years ago, when I started at a small technology company in Chicago called Security APL, and that was even before I'd say fintech was a thing, it was a small fintech company, little did I know what I was getting myself into. Over the years, after working and meeting so many amazing people, I have helped grow an industry that now focuses on client goals, not just trades, and on the value of counsel and advice, not just gathering assets. It's been an exciting journey, and I want to tell you a little bit about it. So my career path is different than most. I've been at the same firm my entire career. So over 30 years, I've been at the same firm. Uh, My jobs at the firm have varied. I've probably played um, and participated or led every role within this firm, except for coding and QA. So I, uh, you know, I can say that I've been able to really understand from, you know, our our team's perspectives, um, how they work within our firm. I also uh, have been in this company that's gone through two different acquisitions. So Security APL got bought by uh, check free, and then check free got bought by Fiserv. So even though I say I've been at the same firm my entire career, we have gone through a couple transitions. I do love technology. I love how technology touches people's lives, and this career that I've had has really afforded me the opportunity to meet with so many different financial services firms. You know what your book said. What's interesting um, since I've been in this industry for over thirty years. As you can imagine, um, most of the meetings, most of the dinners that I've attended over that time, I was really the only woman in the room. It was something I got very used to early on. 
also because of the lack of women leaders early on in my career, most of my mentors and all of my sponsors have been men. And those men have been incredibly important in my personal and professional career growth. So, um, you know, fast forward to today and really, you know, leading up a financial services technology firm, I feel it's my, um, that I owe this industry and really to pay it forward, my pursuit in making sure that women understand the great opportunities in financial services, in technology, you know, working in, um, you know, a career that can be very fulfilling. So I am very involved in a couple of different women organizations um, you mentioned one of them. Um, another that I'm really proud of is uh, leading the Women's Initiative for InvestNet Institute on Campus, which is a um, organization focused on college students and educating college students on the um, importance of financial services, financial literacy, and then how they can come into a financial services organization and really thrive. So I've been leading the Women's Initiative um, there helping college women who normally don't even think of financial services or technology as a great career path for them. I've really spent the last two years out in the um, out of college campuses trying to help these college students really understand the different opportunities that they can have working within a technology or financial services firm. So I, you know, from what I think about, you know, you asked me my story. My story working, you know, within a financial services fintech firm for over 30 years has been phenomenal. I'm mostly proud of the ability that I have to really influence young women in their career opportunities. I just want to get back to that point you made about being the only woman in the room. And that seems to be a very consistent story. That tells me that you've persisted through the last 30 years. It's not easy do you have a, a time when you felt like you, it, it was very clear that you were persisting through? Uh, do you have a story around that? Sure. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's, so it's funny because um, early on, I never really noticed it. Early on, I think because I started you know, right out of school, um, I did not really even look around and say, hmm, where are the other women at this dinner or, you know, in these meetings? But as I, you know, as I pursued and persisted, you know, in growing my career, I did start noticing. And um, that's when I did, you know, notice there's not really somebody that I can look up to that's a woman leading, you know, a firm that can help me and kind of navigate my career with me. Or um, like I said before, I really did count on men to help me do that. Um, but when I was um, running our product management organization about five years ago, and I realized, you know what, my next career move would be to um, run this, run, you know, be the president of investment services. I did need to, I think, work harder to get this role. And I had to be much more persistent with the executives to help them understand that I was ready for this role. Um, I wasn't really part of the, I don't want to call it the boys club, but I wasn't really part of the, you know, the team um, at the top. And I think, you know, I was able to have a very good uh, manager at the time who was, you know, who knew me, who knew I could could do this job, who was very uh, focused on helping me get there. Um, but I did realize that it was hard to do. I wasn't golfing or sitting at the bar, you know, being able to kind of have those conversations that 
I think some of my colleagues were able to do. So um, I did have to pursue kind of different ways in order to, you know, show up and make people believe that I can actually do this. Yeah, it's interesting how we have to find creative ways to make some things happen. I mean, you probably know this too. I think it's creative ways and it's surrounding yourself with the right people who can help you because I think it's not, none of us can do this alone and can't do this alone. You really need to have a great network and support system that, well, even if you, you know, with young kids at home or whatever you might have, that support system is so critical to be able to help anybody, you know, any woman move, um, move up or around or whatever they want to do from a career perspective. That's right. And you also talked about the men who supported you through this process. And that's a yeah. constant theme in, in my book as well. Yeah. And yeah. that's because also perhaps it's probably also because we don't have a lot of women in high positions today who can play that sponsorship role. And that's, that, that's right. That. And it's actually great. It's, it's amazing that, you know, there's so many men who've been allies to a lot of these women, getting them to be successful And I want them to notice that and acknowledge it and realize it. I think a lot of men don't realize that themselves. You know, they just think it's part of business and they kind of move, move around, but it's very critical and important for them to acknowledge it and say, oh, I can actually sponsor a high potential woman and perhaps do that consciously. That's right. And you talked about giving back. And I love that for the last, you know, two years, you've been trying to reach out to women and do a lot of, uh, a lot of that. I, my next question is about intervention. What I've heard is, especially with women, you have to intervene at every stage of their lives. Yeah. What do you think is, uh, where can we make the most impact so we can get more women into leadership in any industry? Yeah, so I think it's everything that we've talked about. Um, you know, it's, it's first off, the, the, you have to make sure that the, um, the women that want those roles are confident, right? And you have to make sure that you can kind of help them gain that confidence and, you know, help them have a voice and kind of stand out. Because a lot of times I'll notice, and this was also in your book, that um, the women will come into a meeting. They won't necessarily sit at the table. They'll go sit at a chair at the side of the table, or they'll come and think that they're there to take notes, or they'll come and stay quiet. So I think first and foremost, it's really making sure that the women um, have a voice are, you know, they, they're not pushy and they don't, you know, it's, it's that it's very natural and yeah, it's natural, but it is, it's, it's a, co- it's great coaching opportunities to make sure that you help these women understand that um, in order for them to be noticed in order for them, they're going to have to show up and really, um, really show that, that, that they have the, fortitude, the potential, and really the passion to continue to grow. And I think that's different than, than men. I think, you know, women do have to make sure that, and, and be very conscious of it. You know, I think it's around how do you dress for success? How do you show up and have the right discussions and the right points of conversation, get invited to the right meetings? So I think all of that is really ways in which you know, people who are, have been in the, their career for quite some time and are in leadership positions, they can actually help make that happen. Okay, that's interesting because I also heard a lot of people say it's not a hiring problem. There are a lot of women who go and get these degrees. There's something that happens during the hiring process and when they come into the workforce where we don't have environments where they can thrive. Exactly. And uh, I think that's changing. I mean, I, you've probably seen that too. I think 
I think right now is a great time for women to join financial services, join technology, because there's so much focus on it. And not just a check the box focus, but real true focus where they're putting together diversity and inclusion programs. And I've been talking to our head of HR here, who is extremely passionate and very supportive of diversity and inclusion. And his big focus is on inclusion. So this is a great time because I don't, we've never, I mean, growing up in this industry, I don't think people knew what diversity and inclusion was, but it's now thinking about how do you have more diverse thinking? How do you have people who can be included in conversation? And it's not having, you know, the same people talking to each other that have the same background and the same, they look alike and all those things that we keep reading about. But right now there is um, a lot of great movement across every firm And some, I would say, are still in that check-the-box mode, but some real action that's helping women um, and minorities, too, kind of move up in their career and be noticed. Yeah. And what do you think we need to make that 50% equality happen? What's that one change? Yeah, I think it's – so I truly believe that what's measured actually gets done. I think we have to start having some true data and measure that data. So – there's companies today and you don't want to have, um, you know, people say they need a woman on a board, so they're just going to put one there. But there's companies today who have some real mandates about how many, you know, women or minorities come into the hiring process, how many are on the executive team, how many are, if you're a leader that you add into your organization, once we start measuring that and making sure that it's you know, everybody has to make sure they hire the best candidate, but they, if they don't have those candidates in their pipeline, they're never going to know about them. So I think the best thing happening right now is there's firms and there's systems out there who can actually go and measure that. Right. And we also, and you also talked about how we're talking about diversity and inclusion today. Yeah. And it almost feels, I don't want to call it a revolution because that just sounds, that sounds like we're, you know, we're just trying to get rid of the men. Yes, uh, and we're not. We are know, not. Things are changing, but do you feel hopeful that we're primed for change? I absolutely do. Um, you know, I think, and um, I, so I have a really great network, and I have uh, women on my executive boards in both at, at both MMI and in you know the the college program I talked about, and these are women who are really in this to to give back and make a change, and. I believe that, you know, you said it's not a revolution, which I agree with, but it is, it is, it, the time right now is so, so critical and it's, there is going to be a difference. It's taking too long, if you ask me, um, but we're, we're not, you know, we're just at the, I'd say the beginnings of how this is going to play out over the next 10 years, but um, we're seeing some good positive movement and good positive results. We are. And just like you, I'm impatient. I want it faster and sooner. (laughs) (laughs) And what's one thing you want to tell a younger generation to do better than we did? Um, So so I would tell a younger generation that always be your best and make sure that your your network. So so two things, I think, always be your best and have a a network of people that um, are not like you people who can help you in different areas. So I have what I call a personal advisory board. And that personal advisory board is made up of all different types of people. An example of my personal advisory board is my son's girlfriend is a kindergarten teacher. She is the most creative person I know. 
And she's on my personal advisory board. And I reach out to her when I need to be creative in some of the events that we're having here at work or things like that. I think it's really important that young women don't try to go alone, that they surround themselves with the right people. They put a little advisory board together that helps them, that's different than them. And, um, you know, they find out who at their firm is going to be the one that could really help them. And you, you don't always, you know, you can't ask for a sponsor because usually sponsors find you. But make sure that you have the right support within the organization that you work. They know that they're on my personal advisory board. So when I call them, they know it's because I need something from them. And it's mostly advice, right? I need them to help me think through something or, you know, we get together not as a, not as a group, but I get together with them one-on-one. Um, you know, my colleague, Trisha, uh, helped me with this and kind of put this together. We created beautiful invitations asking them to be on my advisory board We sent them, you know, I send them obviously holiday presents and gifts and books to read. We give each other books. So it's been one of the best things I've ever done. And what's critical also is you talked about how to make your advisory board diverse, which is important. Yes. Because you're going to get different perspectives. So that's that's amazing. I I haven't heard that before. So thank you for that. Finally, I just wanted to end with, you know, you talked about, you know, people of color, bringing people of color over. What, is the, what do you feel, you know, that's one change we can do to make strides in that area? Because it's much harder for women of color and people of color. It's just not a glass ceiling that we face. It's more of a concrete ceiling. It's so hard. So, um, I mean, I've been talking, telling everybody this story since it happened, but um, Pfizer sponsored the um, CFP, which is the Center for Financial Planning Diversity Summit. Um, there were about 400 people in the room. And it was all about helping mostly African-Americans and Latinos and women come into the financial planning um, industry and help them. And throughout the day, there were some really phenomenal speakers talking about their story, talking about how they got to where they got. A lot of them talking about how they give back. And there was a wonderful panel talking you know, about how they grew up in the industry and some of the things that you know, some of the obstacles they hit, but how they found ways around them. And this young woman stood up, young African-American woman who's been in the industry for a year. She actually got the CFP um, scholarship the year before. And she started talking about her, you know, her experience as a minority in financial services. And she ended with um, saying, you know, diversity at what cost? And her message was, you can get us in, but it's so hard once we're there and we really need help once we're there to, to do what I just talked about for just women, but it's even harder for minorities. So we've all focused on now women and kind of helping them. I think the next focus is not just women, but minorities and starting at those colleges that are not, you know, the big colleges, but those colleges that are mostly for minorities and bringing in interns who don't normally get the opportunity because they don't know the right people or they're not connected and bring them in as interns and really kind of help them understand what great opportunities. But this is a whole other topic, I think, and a very interesting topic, but a lot of work to do in that area. Thank you so much, Cheryl, uh, for your time. This has uh, been amazing. And thank you for all the work you're doing. It's such an honor to have you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for this book. I told you when you sent me the book to read, Um, I couldn't put it down and it just brought back so many memories 
But was, what was interesting to me is although, you know, you had great women in here that you interviewed, all of their stories were a little different, um, which was fascinating, but I connected with every single one of those stories. So thank you for that. What a great book. And, um, you know, I, I would highly recommend it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I voted for the cross-section of women in tech, but I realized, uh, you know, the struggles are uh, pretty much everywhere and it's fairly systemic. That's right. So thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. I want to take a moment to share some of my reflections on my conversation with Cheryl Nash. When a young woman from an underrepresented minority group stands up at a conference of folks from the financial service industry and says, diversity at what cost? You kind of need to take notice. To me, diversity at what cost implies that the old way of just hiring for diversity because you are supposed to takes a huge toll on the people who have been hired on the basis of tokenism. Just recruiting people to say you have diversity isn't the same as having the hard but needed conversations about changing the cultures of our organizations and doing your homework to figure out how to make your organizations truly inclusive. One of the things Cheryl and I talked about was what to do when you are the only person from an underrepresented minority in the room. Thankfully, this is changing in many organizations. But there are other things to do besides ignoring the fact that you are the only one from your group in the room. One is that you will probably need to reach out to your colleagues as mentors, even if they are male or white, and find clever strategies to get sponsors. Often, it doesn't make sense to go out with your colleagues for a drink after work, but it helps to find your footing to network within and outside of your company. Cheryl also talked about building a personal advisory board of a diverse group of individuals that you can turn to when the going gets hard or you need guidance. Finding your voice. You need to speak up and you need to sit at the table. It's that point that comes up a lot on how to build a brand at work that is assertive. So Cheryl is in the financial services industry, and it's interesting that the industry has become an area of opportunity for women and underrepresented minorities. College women don't usually think of financial services as being a great career opportunity, but Cheryl says it is. It is very telling that she has spent her entire career in one organization. That says a lot about the opportunities there. Some financial service planning organizations are moving beyond just a checkbox. Some organizations are trying to figure out what diversity truly means and what that diversity of opinions mean in their organizational culture. But you need to do your homework to figure out which financial service companies are really serious about diversity and inclusion. One place to start is by going to the Center for Financial Planning Diversity Summit. And the next one is happening in November 2019 in Washington, D.C., Cheryl had some great advice for individuals who are in a position to recruit summer interns. When you are selecting interns, don't just go for the individuals who are the low-hanging fruit, the ones who are well-connected and know how to work the system to get noticed by summer intern recruiters. There will also be some very talented college students who are women or underrepresented minorities, and you may need to look harder for them and be thoughtful and encouraging to them to let them know about the opportunities in your organizations. Diversity can be a huge benefit to our organizations, but we need to change the culture so that they're truly welcoming and supportive of people's career advancement. 
That's all for my time today. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Getting to 5050 with Cheryl Nash. Thanks for listening to Getting to 5050. If you enjoyed the show, spread the word by visiting www.pratimaraugluckman.com. After listening to the podcast, I hope you feel empowered to make a difference in your organization and communities. You have the power to change the world. Thanks again and see you next time.